as we continue learning about relationships. To quickly review, you know, we began by saying that all of people are wonderful, all of us are wonderful, just that none of us are perfect. And so we all have problems in, in the area of relationships, in our interactions with people, and how we and how we work with each other. We've got problems, and so we need to learn how to work through those problems and build healthy relationships with people. Uh, relationships we said are a great opportunity to give into one another's lives. When we can connect with people, we're able to really give in to their lives. And we said also that, you know, our relationship with God must affect our relationship with people. And our relationship with people does affect our relationship with God. So what we have uh, started doing in this, uh, in this study on relationships is to uh, go through the Bible and, and try to discover timeless principles. What did God say concerning relationships and how we are to relate to one another as people in the body of Christ and outside uh, with others. Uh, we began last Sunday by talking about getting ready for relationships. How to get ready for relationships. How can we prepare ourselves? Now, why do we need to prepare ourselves? Because all of us have gone through things in life that have kind of distorted our view of others. And we've gone through experiences in life that, have, that keeps us from really looking at others the way we should see them. And so we must really prepare ourselves to build healthy relationships. We talked, I'm just summarizing what we did last Sunday. We talked about the commandment Jesus gave us. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So to begin to love my neighbor, I must learn to love myself. How I relate to myself will influence how I relate to others. And hence the first person I must examine is myself. How I see, how we see ourselves will influence how we see others. We also said that hurting people hurt people and are easily hurt by them. So our challenge last Sunday was to allow Jesus, allow Christ to make us whole so that we could then relate to others and build healthy relationships. So here are some action points we talked about last Sunday. Uh, we said that we must see ourselves as Christ sees us. And if I look at myself the way I am today, I may not be too impressed. There may be things in my life that I'm not really happy about. Failures, mistakes, wrong decisions, etc., etc., etc. We can all have things in our lives that we're not really happy about. But if we will learn to look at ourselves as who we are in Christ, then we have many things to celebrate. Amen. So here's a first step, a very simple step. Who you are in Christ is who you really are. See yourself as who you are in Jesus. And that's something you operate out of that position of who you are in Christ. Secondly, we said that we must receive healing to inner hurts and wounds. God is the restorer of our soul. If we have been hurt emotionally, God can heal us even in that area of our lives. We thirdly we said we must stop blaming others and work on ourselves. And let's always point the finger at the other person. Let's look at what are the things that I'm bringing into the relationship that's causing conflict, that's causing difficulty. We gave a long list of things. We talked about anger and um, uh, lack of trust and selfishness and etc., etc. We talked about several things that we need to deal with. Otherwise, if we keep bringing this to the relationships that we have, we're going to uh, cause those relationships to be hurt or deteriorate. Number four, we talked about imitating God. We are called to imitate God. God's been merciful to us, so we can be merciful to others. God's been forgiving to us, so we can forgive others. God's been kind to us, so we can be kind to others. Amen? So just to review what we did last Sunday as we learned to uh, prepare ourselves for relationships. This morning, I want to talk about focusing on others. A very important part of building healthy relationships is to focus on others. Give priority to the other person. The Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, that each of you not only look at your own interests, 
but also for the interests of others. I'm not just, the Bible tells us, don't look at your own interests, look at what interests the other person, look at his or her interest. You know, maybe many of us are like Cain, you know, Cain and Abel, you know the story when uh, God accepted Abel's sacrifice, Cain was really upset about it, so he goes and kills Abel. Then God comes along and says, Cain, where's Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? I'm like, hey, when was I put in charge of my brother? Why should I be concerned about my brother? Why should I even bother about him? And many of us may be like that. We're not too concerned about our neighbor, not too concerned about those around us. But this morning, hopefully as we go through the Word of God together, we'll be able to get rid of this indifference to others and begin to learn to focus on others as we build healthy relationships with one another. You know, when Jesus gave the the great commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Then one of the people in this audience came and said, you know, Lord, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus narrates the story of the Good Samaritan as he tries to explain this point of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Here's what he said, you know, and you find this in, 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 the, in the Gospels, in Luke 10, 25 to 37, you find the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said there was a man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho, a Jewish man, on his journey. Some thieves came upon him, they beat him, took away his belongings, left him wounded on the roadside. And a, a priest came from Jerusalem, going down the same path. He sees this wounded man, he takes a detour, just passes by. A Levite, another man who serves in the temple, comes down the same road. He sees this wounded man. He does the same thing, just avoids him, goes by. And a Samaritan comes. A Samaritan has no association, a Samaritans had no association with the Jewish people. Nothing, they didn't want to keep in touch. No contact. But he sees this wounded man. He steps into a situation that he, for every practical reason, must stay away from. He steps in, he brings aid, he brings assistance, he brings help. And takes care of this wounded Jew. So Jesus gives this story to explain to us what it means to love my neighbor as myself. Amen. That means I must be willing to step into somebody else's life. Even though it may not be socially, culturally acceptable. Even though it might be a little inconvenient, difficult for me. Even though I may have to go the second mile. Even though I may have to have some personal expense to meet that person's need. I need to be willing to step into their life to minister to them, to do something good for them. Amen. And Jesus said, this is, do, this is what it means when I say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So this morning, we must, and I want to challenge us to move away from being the priest kind of person, from being the Levite kind of person, and become the good Samaritan to those around us. Why is it that we do not focus on others? There could be several reasons why we don't focus on others. Sometimes it's just a lack of love. I just don't love people. And I love God, but I don't love people. That's very hard. It doesn't go. Sometimes it's just fear. Hey, if I love this person, you know, what will happen? Fear holds us back. If I do good to them, what will happen? And sometimes it could just be plain self-centeredness. I'm just so focused on myself, I have no time to focus on the person next to me. And God can change that this morning. So I want to share some practical things to help us focus on others. Uh, as I had said last Sunday, I've adapted some of these things from John Maxwell's book on winning with people. And, and uh, although he, there's not much scripture there, I've tried to uh, present it with the Word of God so we understand that these things, what I'm sharing this morning, are not just psychology or how to win friends and influence people, but it is the Word of God that we are studying together. How can we focus on others? Some practical things that will help us focus on others you know, number one, we give preference to the other person. Give preference to the other person. You know, it's like, you know, when you're driving on, on, on the roads in Bangalore, there's somebody behind you, man, 
they're trying to pass you. Either on the left, either on the right. If possible, they'll fly over you, go under you. Yeah. Now, most of us, and me included, sometimes I like to have some fun, you know. So, like, I'll just make sure that I don't let them pass. <laughs> yeah. Purposely, because I know he's trying to go. So, like, let me go as fast, slightly faster than him. <laughs> Change lanes. It's okay. There are no lanes here, but anyway. <laughs> All right. So, you get the point. But, you know, if, if I would just... If, I, if we practice what the Word says, which is to give preference to the other person, here's what I would do, and I'd encourage us to do this, is, hey, you're in a hurry, go ahead. You know, I'll just move to the side, go ahead. Just let, let him pass. You know, as long as he doesn't go under your car, you're safe. Just let him pass, go by. There's no, no problem. And I'm not trying to put him down. Uh, nothing to prove to him. Let him pass. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. To focus on others, I need to start giving them preference. I esteem others better than myself. It's a difficult thing for us to do growing up in the world today where we are forced to be better than the other person. We are challenged, we are encouraged. And in some cases, yes, you know, if you're running uh, uh, um, uh, and you're participating in an athletic event, you don't apply the scripture there. You know, God says... You know, don't have any selfish ambition. Let him run. It's okay, man. You run. I'll be behind you. You know, that's the wrong place to apply this verse of scripture. But generally speaking, you know, we are just so driven to be better than others. And for every, every opportunity, we try to be in front of the other person. But the Bible is challenging us, saying, hey, let each of you esteem the other person better than yourself. It's contrary to what we've been so ingrained with, so trained to think with. Romans 12 verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Giving preference. The Message Bible puts it like this. It says, Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. That's quite interesting. Practice playing second fiddle. Hey, you want to be the lead? Go ahead. No, that's a, an important key in trying to focus on other people and say, you know, I want to value you more than myself. I want to let you know that I value you, value the relationship we have. Number two, as we try to focus on others, here's a very important thing we must bring into the relationship. Each person I meet has the potential to teach me something. Each person I meet, I can learn something from them. They may be older to me and that's wonderful because then I can draw from their experience and so on. Or they may be younger to me and I can still learn from them. How to use the cell phone, the iPod, etc. All this thing. That we adults. You know, there is potential to learn from every person. And if I can come with that kind of a mindset into relationships, it's going to position me to build a healthy relationship. If I come to a relationship saying, hey, what are you going to teach me anyway? You, know, you, you sit down and listen to me. It's not really going to last too long because that person will not be interested in that kind of a relationship. And that's what relationships are about. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. There is potential for iron sharpening iron both ways. We, we can sharpen each other. Now I realize that there are some relationships that we have to be careful about because they're going to teach us the wrong thing, right? So I'm not just giving a blanket statement that I can just learn everything from everybody. You know, my mind is so open that my brain falls out. I'm not telling us to be like that. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So I'm, little, I'm careful. I'm, I'm discerning. 
there are, there are wrong things I must avoid. So when I meet somebody and I know that, hey, there are, there are certain things that I must avoid, that I'm careful to even learn from that and say, you know, those are things I must not reproduce in my life. Those are things that I must not be like. Those are patterns of behavior that I must not imitate. I'm still learning, but I'm learning what to avoid. Amen. But every person has a potential to teach me something. Number three, as I focus on others, I must understand that people are interested in the person who is interested in them and seeks their well-being. Amen. People are interested in somebody who is really interested in them. Not just somebody who's trying to use them, manipulate them, you know, take advantage of them. But people are interested. If they see that you're genuinely interested in them, they are going to open up and you're going to have a good relationship. So, as I focus on others, I must learn to have genuine interest in people. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. I must genuinely be, inter- genuinely be interested in them. You know, when Jesus gave his teaching on being a leader in Matthew 20, he said, you know, uh, don't be like the world, because the world has its, its own way of leadership. But here's what I want you to do. If you want to be a leader, you've got to be a servant. If you want to be first, you've got to be willing to be last. He gave us that in Matthew 20. And then he, he pointed to himself in Matthew 20, verse 20, and he said, Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Look, I didn't come so that everybody could meet my need. I came to meet their need. My interest, I, had, I have a genuine interest in that person, in giving into their lives. Follow my example. So as a leader, Jesus set the standard. He said, you serve, don't just wait, pe- wait for people to serve you. Have a genuine interest in people and they will respond and open up to you. Amen. Number four, as I focus on others, I must understand that believing the best in others usually empowers them to give their best. Believing the best in others empowers them to give their best. Now, every person has his strong points and has his list of weak points. Some of us, our weak points, the number of weak points might outnumber our strengths, and that's okay. But if I really want to be an encourager, I will zero in on their strengths. I will believe in their strengths. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 chapter that love bears all things and believes all things. Believe the best for every person. Believe the best that is in them. And when you do that, it will empower them to bring out their best. Amen. And every year we graduate these uh, Bible college students. And you know, if you look at each student, ah, we can have you know, 10 things this student did wrong, did wrong these two years they, he or she was with us. And here are these five good qualities they have. But if we really want to encourage them, we must focus in on the good things they have. Now I'm not saying we must not bring correction to the wrong things or try to help them overcome their, uh, their weaknesses. We must deal with that. But if I really want to encourage them, I say, hey, you know, you've got these five good things in you. Go with it. Strengthen your strengths. Go with it. You're going to be a success. God can use these things that are in you and you can be a success. You know, if God had to wait for all of us to be perfect, to use us, He probably have nobody right now. He definitely would not have had anybody right now serving Him. Amen. And yet God chooses to use all of us. Why? Because He believes in us. And that's empowering. It liberates us. Empowers us to bring out our best for the Lord. And we need to do this for others. The book of Acts talks about a man named Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, and then you read about his story through the book of Acts. Barnabas was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of property. He goes and sells all the land. He brings it and gives it to the church. And the apostles chose to call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. 
because he was a great encourager. And there are two notable people that he really encouraged. Barnabas was an encourager. He is the one who brought Saul into the limelight, so to speak. Saul hit the headlines as being the number one persecutor of the Christians. That's what he was known for. And even after his genuine encounter and conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ, people, the disciples avoided him. They said, we're not sure. Maybe he's just faking it. They stayed away from him. So Saul spent his time out in the deserts of Arabia and in Tarsus. 17 years had gone. He was just by himself. We don't know a whole lot about what he did. But when Barnabas comes to Antioch, he says, hey, here's a great place to bring that guy in. So he goes from Antioch, he goes to Tarsus, he looks for Saul, brings Saul from Tarsus, from his hiding, he brings him to Antioch, and together they raise up the church at Antioch. And from there, Saul becomes Paul, and he's launched into his apostolic ministry. An encourager, a believer in people. He did the same thing for John Mark. You know, when on the first missionary journey, Paul, Barnabas, uh, Paul and Barnabas took John Mark with them. John Mark was probably a young man. Uh, he went part of the journey and then he just felt homesick. So I need to go home. I'm missing my nice comfortable bed. And so he, he quit the missionary journey, went back home. Paul never forgot that. John Mark failed. So the second time they're getting ready to go on the missionary journey, Barnabas says, Paul, you know, why don't we take John Mark with us? Who? John Mark. No way. And the contention between Paul and Barnabas became so strong that Paul took Silas and went on one journey. Barnabas took John Mark with him and went on a journey. Years later, Paul is writing 2 Timothy and he says, Bring John Mark because he's useful for me in the ministry. Barnabas was an encourager, a believer in people. Amen. So you and I need to be like that. Believe the best in every person. You know, look at the positives. Look at their strong points. Yes, all of us have a long list of weaknesses. None of us are perfect. But if, I, if we want to focus on others and build re good relationships amongst ourselves, let's believe the best in each other. Amen. Number five. Caring for people should precede confronting them. Caring for people should precede confronting them. You know, we do need to confront people in their, in their wrongdoing. I'm not just saying we turn a blind eye and say pretend that everything is okay. But we must first care, extend love, extend grace, extend mercy, be compassionate as long as we possibly can before stepping in to confront. You know, when Peter came to Jesus in Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22, he, and, and said, you know, Lord, you know, I've got this brother, I don't know who, whom he was referring to, but I can just imagine it must have been one of the other 11. And I've got this brother who's really troubling me. How many times should I put up with him? How many times should I forgive him? Seven, is that a good number, Lord? That's plenty. Seven. And Jesus, you know, not seven, but 70 times seven. In other words, hey, Peter, just be gracious. Just continue to forgive. Just continue to extend mercy. And then he went right on to talk about this story of a man who owed his boss 10,000 rupees. And, uh, and he couldn't pay the debt. And he goes to his boss and says, Boss, I owe you 10,000 rupees. Uh, it's, it's in the Indian version of the Bible. Uh, can you do something about it? And his boss forgives him. His boss says, Okay, I clear your debt of 10,000 rupees. But the same man had a servant working for him who owed him 100 rupees. And when the servant comes to him and says, you know, uh, sir, you know, I, I just can't pay this hundred rupees. He says, you can't pay this hundred rupees. You have to pay it. If you don't pay it, I'll take you to task. I'll put you in the prison, etc., etc. I'll file, file a case against you, etc., etc. And, and he just goes and does it. And when the boss hears about it, he calls this guy and says, you know, I forgave 10,000 rupees. And you couldn't forgive a hundred. 
So I'm also going to take you to Tarsus. And Jesus wraps it up saying, you know, as God has been merciful to you, you be merciful to others. In other words, we've got to extend as much grace to others as God has extended to us before we step in and say, look, I need to address an issue. Amen. Now, God does step into our lives and bring discipline, right? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 that if we don't receive discipline from God, then we are illegitimate children. We're not right with God. So God does step in and bring discipline, but He extends abundant grace before He steps in with His severity. There is the goodness and severity of God. I'm not saying God is, there is no severity. The Romans uh, 2 talks about the goodness and the severity of God. There is the, the severity of God, but there is much grace that is extended before God steps in with His severity and discipline to bring correction into our lives. And we must do the same thing with one another as we focus on each other. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The wounds that we, a friend brings in, they are faithful wounds. They are meant for our good. They are not meant for our destruction. Hebrew, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says this, you know, that we must speak the truth in love. The problem is many of us speak the truth, but we speak it with so much anger, hatred, whatever, that people reject both us and the truth. We must learn to speak the truth in love. Bring it in a way that they will be willing to receive it. I like what John Maxwell says. He says, don't use a hammer to swat a fly off someone's head. I think that's good advice. Amen. You say, you know, but, but you know, I just can't forgive. I just can't bear with this person. I, I, I received God's grace, but I, I don't have the ability to love somebody else the way God loves them. That's wrong. You have the ability. You know, there's a lot of, sometimes a lot of, psychology is good if it's kept in its place. But the problem is so much of psychology just creeps into the church to the point where it dislocates the position of the Word of God. One of the psychology thinking that has crept into the church is this, and especially in the context of marriages is this. You know, you fill my love tank and I fill your love tank and then we can love each other. That's good psychology, but it's unscriptural. Because my capacity to love somebody does not come by them filling my love tank. My capacity to love somebody comes because God has poured His love into my love tank. Romans 5.5 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in my heart. And you didn't put it there. God put it in there by His Holy Spirit. So my capacity to love somebody is not because they are filling my love tank. My capacity to love somebody is because God is filled, has filled my love tank with His love. Jesus didn't say, love your husband if he loves you. Amen? So we have to be careful of some of the things that people preach and teach, which is literally psychology, but it just totally dislocates the truth of the Word of God. You can't swallow everything that's preached from many pulpits today. And in books that we read, you've got to be careful. You've got to evaluate it. You've got to test it with the Word of God. So your capacity to love somebody, your capacity to forgive somebody, your capacity to be patient with somebody is not dependent on what they do to you. It's dependent on your, the fact that God has poured His love into your heart. And it's up to you and me to tap into that love that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You have a choice. You can go with your emotion or you can go with the love of God that's poured in your heart. I encourage you, go with the love that's been poured in your heart. Amen. Because if you limit yourself to your emotions, it's going to end right there. But if you say, God, your unconditional love is poured into my heart, I'm going to love. I have the ability to love. I have the capacity to love. It comes from God. And last point here, in being practical in, 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 and learning to love one another and focus on others is this. I just put it like this. Is a, be a people lifter upper. You know, when we can lift people up or we can put them down. And it's a choice we make. We must choose to lift people up. Amen. Be a people lifter up. When people come into your presence, how do they leave? Do they leave totally depressed that they ever met you? Or do they feel like, wow, here's a person who just 
lifted me up in my spirit, who encouraged me, who made me feel that, hey, I can go forward. I can conquer the world. I can overcome my problems. Here's a person that I could like to, I'd like to meet again. Amen. One of the simplest ways that we can be people lifted uppers is in Ephesians 4.29. It says, don't allow any corrupt communication or word to come out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that is to build up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, this is a command. It didn't say, you know, do this whenever you can. The other times it's okay. It says, do not allow any corrupt word to come out of your mouth, but choose to speak those things which edify, which means build people up. And number two, it brings grace, divine empowerment into their lives. Amen. I mean, think about marriages. How wonderful it will be if the husband and the wife just decide to do this. I will speak words that edify and bring grace each way. That's it. No more marriage counseling needed. Amen. We'll all go out of jobs. I'm just joking. Oh, think about, you know, how parents, how we speak to our children. If parents spoke this way to their children, we'll have strong, wonderful children raised up. If parents spoke words that edified and brought grace. I'm not saying don't bring correction, please. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if we will speak words that edify and bring grace to the one listening, it'll just build people up. Lift them up. Amen. So as we focus on others, here are some dangers to avoid just some practical things here don't make people dependent on you well yes we must focus on others our goal is not to make them dependent on us they got to be able to stand on their own feet don't let people abuse your care and concern if they know you're kind generous gracious they might just abuse it and so you got to be careful not to love that and thirdly you and i must understand that we are not called to meet everybody's need we can't solve the world's problems but make sure that you do meet the need of those who are assigned to your life. It begins with your home, people in your family, people in your work, people in your church community. These are people who are assigned to your life. The stranger who walks into your life, he's, been, he's come there because he's assigned to your life. Those people I'm responsible for. Amen. So we must understand, I, I, I can't solve the world's problems. But I, can, I can make a difference in the lives of people who are assigned to me, whom God has sent into my life. I can do something. I can put them first. I can focus on them. And lastly, don't compromise on eternal values in the interest of pleasing people. While we must focus on people, we, there are some things we can't compromise. We can't compromise on eternal values. We can't just say, you know, just go live whatever you do. If it feels good, do it. It's wonderful. I'm with you. Can't do that. Sorry. Amen. So we don't compromise on eternal values while we focus others. So this morning, a simple message to you and me. To build healthy relationships, we must put others first. It should become a way of life for all of us. Amen? Not look at how can they meet my need, but hey, how can I meet his or her need? How can I step into their lives? And all of us can apply it. I understand that many of us here are at different stages of life, husbands and wives. You know, instead of thinking what your spouse needs to do to meet your need, how about focusing on what you can do for your spouse to meet his or her need. Parents, how about focusing on your children, raising them up, edifying them, building them up, lifting them up. Children, how about focusing on your parents? I know we can all get so busy with our, with our, with our world, but how about taking some time to minister to our parents? Employees, instead of always looking for people and how the company can bless you and how much more attention your boss needs to pay to you, how about just giving 100% to what you've been assigned to do? Say, let me just do my best here and give to the organization. As bosses and employers, how about putting the needs of your employees above your own personal needs? Our organizations will be very different. As a church family, as a people of God, how about pursuing the call of God to reach people above our own personal dreams? 
Now, we all got our personal dreams. You know, we want to accomplish things in life, etc., 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 wonderful, it's great. But how about saying God's call to touch lives is more important than my personal dreams, focusing on others. There are stories of amazing, amazing stories of many great men and women throughout Christian history, and I just want to give a few of them here this morning, who, who purpose to put others first and to pursue the call of God to put others first rather than their own personal interests, and they made an impact. They had an impact. Think about William Tyndale, a 16th century scholar who was the first man to really translate the Bible in the language, uh, in, the, in the common English language. He was driven by this one thing. He said, you know, uh, in fact, at a time when he was being falsely accused of being a heretic, here's what he, and being a, a, a blasphemer because he wanted to translate the Bible into common English. You know, one of the clergymen of his day said, you know, we'd better be without God's laws than the Pope's. And Tyndale replied, he said, I defy the Pope and all his laws, and if God spares my life, I will cause the boy that drives the plough in England to know more of the scriptures than the Pope himself. He was driven by this passion. I want to get the word of God to the ordinary boy on the street. Others was driven by that. And because he wanted to translate the Bible into common English, he was called an heretic. And here's how he died. After he had finished the scriptures, translated the scriptures, and because the printing press came into existence at that time, he was really able to print the Bible uh, in common English, spread, spread the word of God out. And because of what he did, he was, strang- he was charged of heresy in 1536. He was strangled and his body was burnt at the stake. And even at the stake, here's what he said. He said, Lord, open the eye, king of England's eyes. That was the final words. A man who lived for others. The King James Version, when 50, 50 scholars got together to bring out the King James Version, their first, first reference was Tyndale's translation of the Scripture. Today you and I have the Bible because there was a man, a uh, Bible in English, because there was a man, named William, uh, of, uh, a man named William Tyndale who said, who made it his passion to get the Word of God to others. And for that, he gave his life. Think about Hudson Taylor. He's called the father of modern missions. He grew up as a British Christian and he gave up everything he had in England and spent 51 years of his life in China. 51 years of his life in China. He could have enjoyed his own hometown, his own home country, but he spent 51 years. And during his time there, he brought over 800 missionaries who began 125 schools. They directly resulted in about 18,000 people coming to know Christ. They established more than 300 mission stations in all 18 provinces of China. And a Christian missiologist says this about Hudson Taylor. He says, No other missionary in the 19th century since the Apostle Paul has had a wider vision and has carried out a more systemized plan of evangelizing a broad geographical area than Hudson Taylor. He gave up his life for the sake of the people in China. He put others first. The call of God to go for others, he put that first. A young man, and I just, I'd like to talk about Jim Elliot because some of the young people can relate to him. Jim Elliot was a very young man. He went, he studied in Wheaton College, had everything going for him. And he decided that he had to go either to India or to Ecuador. And uh, God just directed him to Ecuador. As a young man in his 20s, he got along with a group of four others. And they went away to Ecuador to reach the Quechua Indians. In fact, when he was about to leave, his parents and friends encouraged him to do youth ministry in the United States. But he said, you know, the church in America is well fed I need to go to people who have not heard. He went to Ecuador. And in his attempt to go and reach a certain tribal group, the very people that he was trying to reach killed him and the four young people with him. He gave up his life. He he lost his life as a martyr before he reached the age of 30. 
In his journal, here's what they found written. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's Jim Elliot. And when the news of Jim Elliot's death as a young man, martyred for Christ, spread across Christendom, many, 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 many young men and women rose up to say, I'll do the same. Many of the missionaries, great missionaries, including people like Billy Graham and Louis Palov, they've been impacted by the testimony of Jim Elliot. That's what spurred them to step into the ministry and serve God. And like this, we can just go on and on of men and women like William Carey and Amy Carmichael. Just go on and on and on and on of men and women who said, I'll put others first and respond to the call of God. The question I want to ask you and me today is this. What are you and I doing? Are we focusing on, on others? And I think I just did a great job here uh, uh, a few minutes back. And just illustrating how, how we need to get out of our own comforts and focus on others. Amen. In our church, don't ask what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for the church. Amen. In our city, don't ask what the city can do for you. Ask what you can do for the city. There are people hurting in the city. People suffering in the city. You and I need to do something. When God asked Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, you know, I'm my brother's keeper. God said, Cain, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me. I believe there's a voice being raised up to heaven by our helpless people in our city, the street kids. The poor in our city, the unsaved, the lost, people in darkness, people in bondage who need help, deliverance. There's a voice being raised and God's asking you and me, what are you doing? Amen. It's time that we focused on others in our relationships and even in, when it comes to answering the call of God. I want to close with this verse from Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12. Proverbs says, deliver those who are drawn toward death. And hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Those who are going down to death, destruction, whether it's spiritual or whether it's social or natural. God is saying, I want you to do something to deliver them. I want you to do something to help them. I want you to do something to rescue them. If you and I say, God, I didn't know it. I'm sorry, I didn't know. We can feign ignorance. The Bible says, doesn't God who searches the heart know, know the fact? You no, know, we see it and then we pretend we didn't know. But God searches the hearts and He knows that we knew it but didn't do something about it. It's time to focus on others, both at an individual level and at a corporate level. Amen.